thankful for Pastor Mac, Pastor Steve, and others who serve in our care ministry. And sometimes if uh, after, yeah, thankful for those who serve in that way. And sometimes if uh, we're able to provide that hope here on campus in our counseling center, care and counseling center, we uh, then make referrals to partner Christian therapists that we have in the community. So we can be a resource to help you through what you're going through in your marriage and life and uh, encourage you to check that out if you have a need and you can reach out to the care and counseling office. Also, I just wanna pause and remind you that as a part of our worship, we sing, we uh, pray, we respond as we hear to God's word and living it out, and we give to the Lord. And so you can go to calvarywestlake.org slash give. You can also um, give at one of the silver boxes at the doors if you have a cash or check. You know, the scriptures say that we're to lay up in store for the first day of the week. It's the idea that we plan our giving. We don't just give out of just kind of what's left over or an afterthought, but that we intentionally give to God in response to how God has been gracious and good to us. So make giving a part of your worship of God as you gather either here in the room or you gather with us online. Make your giving a part of your worship to him. This last week, we've had a couple of interesting things happen. We had 130 high school students last week at Hume Lake up in the Sierra Nevadas, Nevada mountains, and um, we had 20 adults there volunteering uh, to help and uh, on our team there. And they were supposed to come back on Monday, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but they had a snowstorm, and so all day Monday, we were trying to figure out how to get them off the mountain, but get them home safely. and. And I just wanna say thank you to those adults who were up there with them. Thank you to those students for their patience and especially to parents as we were sending out an email. Yes, they're gonna come down the mountain. No, they're not going to. One bus got stuck going up. And we, it ended up they stayed overnight, one extra night, and came back on Tuesday. We're so grateful for the folks at Hume Lake Christian Camp there who at this winter retreat were prepared and helped our, our folks um, uh, stay another night. And uh, I wanna say thank you again to the parents for your flexibility, and we were looking toward, yes, it's important to get them home, but we wanna make sure they're very safe. And um, I asked our team in the middle of the week, I said, now did that spoil all that God did as God was working in those teenagers? And they said, no, as a matter of fact, tonight at five o'clock, they have their high school service, and 19 of the students who were up there at camp are being baptized in the service tonight. Family, family members can gather with them, and so that's exciting, and we praise God, although a number of us in leadership were kind of thinking that through, and, and they kept me up to speed a couple times, but it was a, quite a decision going back and forth through the day, waiting for the, making sure we're doing the right thing, and thank God for his protection in that. And then on Wednesday, about 5.15, a little excitement here on our campus, a minor fire broke out on the front of our building, on the cross that's on the building, not the freestanding one, and uh, the cross caught on fire with uh, flames coming out behind it. We think it's an electrical thing, may have even been a bird's nest that caught on fire when the timer turned on the lights for the night. Uh, the uh, fire folks put that out in a matter of minutes. Everyone evacuated the building. We say thank you to those who were in the building for heading out in a timely fashion and uh, following instructions, but also we're so thankful for the first responders. If you were driving by, you saw several fire trucks, ambulances, police, we're so thankful for firefighters and police and EMTs that showed up and just thank you to them. Our children's ministries that were meeting that night made some thank you notes and they were dropped off yesterday at the local firehouse to say thank you uh, with the kids' drawings and so that was beautiful and yeah, it's a great thing. Um, 
One of, the, one of the best comments about the whole thing was uh, someone uh, responded to our communication by saying, I'm so excited to be a part of a church that's on fire for God. Uh, <laughs> we're thankful for God's protection and God's uh, provision. Now, I don't know if you've ever had um, your identity stolen in any way. I've never really had a really complex one of those happen. Maybe a, a credit card had to be replaced or something like that. Just before Christmas, we were switching from AT&T to Verizon, and things were going pretty smoothly. We have seven phones with the five of us in our family, and then my two in-laws are on our plan. And my in-laws are on our plan. And so switching these phones a little more complicated, and what happened was there were certain things I had to go in the store to do, and so I went to the store, gave them my driver's license, and the fellow said, I'm sorry, but I can't help you because your address on your driver's license doesn't match the address in the account. The account was only a week old. I'd gone in on my Verizon account. I could see everything, and they said, where do you think your address is? What state? And I said, well, it's on my driver's license, California. I've lived in the same place 15 years almost, and and he said, well, that's not the address here, and so I can't help you. And they transferred me to the fraud department, and we were going through all that, and, and I finally, someone said, you know, the address is in Arizona, and um, so they got it all straightened out, and to this day, it's all straightened out. We never found anything uh, that was done because of that, and hopefully nothing will be done because of that. I use LifeLock and things like that to try to protect all that, but... I decided I want to check out this address where people are hijacking my address to. So I went to Google Maps, and this is the place in Cottonwood, Arizona, in the middle of the desert, that was listed as my address. And um, it kind of looks sketched to me, doesn't it, to you, that they might use an address like that to kind of hijack people's information and uh, out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And, and, and yet that identity that we know today can be stolen and compromised in a variety of ways uh, is not nearly as important as our identity forever with Christ. And today we're going to talk about how important it is to understand our identity in Christ as his followers. If you go in your Bible, go on a mobile Bible app to Romans chapter 8, we're going to continue our study of this precious, precious chapter in Paul's epistle or letter to the first century church at Rome. Romans chapter eight, we're in a six-week study of this chapter looking at the six grace-based promises, six grace-based promises that will help us to live in the grip of God's grace. Now God's grace is God's goodness to us that we don't deserve. His mercy, his love, his grace, that which we don't deserve, God's goodness toward us. So today we're gonna look at the third promise. The first week we looked at the unlimited grace and how if you're in Christ Jesus, you can never exhaust the grace of God. Last week we looked at the unambiguous grace, how clear it is that we were once enslaved to sin and self and in Christ we have been given the Holy Spirit. We move from the realm of the flesh to the realm of the spirit and it, it is unambiguous grace. It's a huge difference that comes in our lives. And today we're gonna look at Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 17. Talk about our identity in Christ. Promise number three, the promise of unimaginable, unthinkable, almost unbelievable grace. And here's the promise. God's grace, God's grace gives you a new identity that forever defines you by who you are in Christ, not what you do for him. 
Just pause for a moment and listen to what that statement says. God's grace gives you a new identity that forever defines you by who you are in Christ, not by what you do for Christ. This is not about our performance. We live in a performance culture here in this pocket of Southern California, and it's easy to think we gotta prove ourselves in some way. We've gotta strive really hard, and yet God says there is something amazing in his grace in terms of our identity in our relationship with him. Another way to put it would be the permanent nature of our relationship with God is not based on our performance for Christ, but on our identity in him. On our identity in him. Let's go to Romans chapter eight. Let's begin to explore this identity that we have in Christ according to these verses here in verses 12 through 17. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Someone who is alive in the Spirit will begin to put off the old things and they will take on the things of life. That's one way to know that you are truly in Christ. Verse uh, uh, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There it is. There's our identity. We were born outside the family of God, born in really slavery to our selfish selves and to sin. The, the battle is with the flesh and the world and the devil, and we're born captured in in a a realm that is outside the family of God, but in Christ we are the children of God. Verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. That word adoption, if you've got your Bible open and you have a highlighter or a pen to underline, underline that, that word adoption is key here. Paul uses this description of adoption five times in his writings, and here's one of them, adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When you have the Spirit of God in you, you've been picked up out of the realm of the flesh and brought into the realm of the Spirit, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he is the one who's gonna confirm these things in you and assure you, verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs, of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, verse 15 has that key word, adoption, to being the children of God. Now, I wanna say something to those of you who have chosen to adopt, that's a great thing. As a matter of fact, this weekend is a weekend every year that is often referred to as Sanctity of Life Weekend, where we celebrate and support that life begins at conception and ends at death. Last year, we had the Simi Valley Crisis Pregnancy Center here, and a number of you met them and got engaged in that, that ministry. And this year, I just wanna mention to you that it's not just before the baby's born, but there are folks who are at risk, and those of you who adopt often are taking on a child who would have lived in a a vulnerable setting or situation. And so thank you for those of you who've taken that step step of adoption. I know for some of you that was a long journey, but thank you. 
Thank you to those of you who are foster parents, who take in kids who are vulnerable in our culture and are brought into the system, and even the system itself can be threatening, and, and so to have Christian parents loving on kids and valuing their lives is so important. We have a partner here locally, James Storehouse. The executive director is Stacy DeWitt, and they have a ministry that if you go to their website at jamesstorehouse.org, they talk about how from cribs to college, we serve kids in foster care. So they come alongside families and make sure they have the resources they need, the encouragement they need. It's a holistic approach to helping foster families in the name of Christ. And they've got a lot of ways you can partner with them. That's a way to be, a, be supportive of the value of life. Thank you for that. And I know for some who've been adopted and some have struggled with their identity and I pray that if, if you have been in the foster uh, system or you have been uh, adopted in your life, I know that can create identity issues and I hope that today you will find that the bedrock of your identity, a healthy identity starts with your relationship with Christ and may they bring healing to some of those other places if there was some difficulty with you in your own struggle with your identity because of adoption or fostering. Adoption is, in our culture, a beautiful way people bring a child into their home to nurture that life, usually at a very young age. When Paul uses the word adoption to sonship in verse 15, he's bringing about the Roman concept of adoption. It was a legal process, and it, it took a little while but it was radically different. Instead of bringing a child into your home to nurture that life, it was all about establishing a legacy for yourself. As a matter of fact, in the Roman form of adoption, in the Roman Empire in the first century in which Paul is writing and the imagery he's drawing from, the average age of someone who was adopted was 25 years of age. They were normally males in their 20s and 30s. 99% were males because they were being adopted to step in as an heir to a noble person who wanted their legacy to continue. In the Roman Empire, there were classes of people and even run to, for certain offices to be elected a senator. You had to have a certain amount of money to be eligible to be in an election. And there were different levels of that. And so a nobleman, a person of wealth and success, when they died, they wanted their family to stay in that exclusive social club where they got a lot of privileges in the Roman Empire. But if they didn't have a male heir or they had a male heir they couldn't trust or one who had disappeared and maybe went far away and hadn't returned, then they would need to adopt a man and put that person in as their heir to all of this to help keep the family status and to keep the memory of the one who did the adopting strong and vibrant in the culture. And so adoption today for us is bringing a life into a home to nurture it as parents. Adoption then was to establish your legacy. Yes, you're, you're helping that person. And, and it usually happened between noble families. So one guy may not have a male heir and it was all about the male head of the household. And so he realizes he needs to adopt a young man. By the way, sometimes when someone with a lot of wealth, a noble person, believed their life was gonna be short because of whatever their limited medical knowledge told them that they were gonna die soon, they would even adopt people who are older than them. Isn't that strange? You'd adopt someone older than you? Because this is not about nurturing a young life, 
This is about this idea of leaving your legacy and giving that person this, this high status in your household. And so you might have a, a noble family that had four or five sons, and you got somebody else who doesn't have one son, for whatever reason, and this family can raise its status by making a deal with that family. Hey, we got a couple extra sons here. <laughs> we can work this out. And that was one way adoption happened where one noble family provided a son and there was a legal adoption that took place and they moved from that household to this household. But Paul draws on something in his various references in the New Testament that is even more specific and is quite frankly very rare in Roman adoptions. And that is a noble person sees a slave they think is worthy to bring, from, bring out of slavery, pay off their debts, free them, and then raise them up to be their son and to be their heir, to give them all that incredible status and notoriety and wealth. And that's extremely rare, but that's what Paul is drawing on here in Romans chapter eight. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians one, four through five, look what the apostle Paul says and how he describes adoption here. For he chose us, referring to God, in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, same phrase, adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 kind of gives the whole process of adoption, especially of a slave. If someone was indebted and they were enslaved to someone else and a noble, one, noble man wanted to adopt that man, they first had to pay off all their debts and free them because they had to be free citizens of Rome to be adopted, and then they would go through the legal rights of making them their son. And you see the whole picture here in Galatians 4, 4 through 6 from the New Living Translation. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Listen to that, hear that. You were once enslaved to the flesh and sin and self and lust and greed and pride, but you have been liberated and made God's child. You are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The great doctrinal confession, the Westminster Confession says, all who are in Christ Jesus enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. They have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now, now get this beautiful picture Paul is painting for us. We were once in slavery to sin, the old law we could never live up to, our pride, our arrogance, our lust. As we saw last week, God's grace picks us up and makes us alive spiritually. We're given the Holy Spirit. But we're also at that moment, we are adopted by the Spirit, through the Spirit of God, to be the sons and daughters of God. We're picked up out of that and we're given the status in the household of God that even has an eternal aspect to it that we celebrate and experience his glory and his victory. Now we're all born in this enslavement and the only way out of it is through the good grace of God 
become a part of God's family. Jesus kind of described what happens when someone believes in him. In John 1.12, he said, to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Those of us in this room who believed in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for us to be justified, made right with God, are now the children of God. But maybe you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ. God wants to pick you up out of whatever you've been enslaved to and give you a new identity as his child now and forever. Put your faith in Christ. Do that today. We'd love to interact with you about that, whether you have questions, you want us to celebrate with you, uh, if there's something we can help you with and what that means now, if you put your faith in Christ today, uh, what does it mean for tomorrow and how you walk with him? There are a couple of ways you can communicate with, communicate with us. Our prayer and care team will be down front after the service. You can come up and speak to them. Pastor Brian Howard will, will be where I'm gonna be. I'm not gonna be able to uh, stay after the service today because I'm catching a plane this afternoon. Uh, but Pastor Brian Howard, who was up here with announcements, he'll be where I normally stand. Other pastors in the lobby. And then a way you can immediately right now, so you don't get cold feet about this, if you wanna to communicate to us about what it means to be a child of God, to know Jesus as your savior, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen, 58568. You text just the name Jesus to that number and we'll connect with you, we'll follow up with you this week. We wanna walk the journey with you and welcome you into God's family if today is the day you have accepted Christ or if, if you have questions about that. In this beautiful, beautiful passage, we get this truth that our identity now and forever is based on who we are in Christ, not what we do for him, not our performance, it's our identity. So I wanna share with you three areas that ought to just help us embrace and celebrate and experience this identity in Christ. When you're adopted by God as his child, number one, all your previous obligations ended. All your previous obligations ended. Oftentimes, those who were enslaved had debts to the master. They, they were enslaved for various reasons, and, and the system was an economic one. It was, it was a compl complicated one. There were obligations. Notice, if you look at verse 12, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. Then he's gonna talk about how we put to death those old things. We put on the life of the Spirit. And then in verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit. The word led there in the original means to be willingly led. Not in bondage, not in change, not by force, but now you are willingly in freedom experiencing your identity in Christ. All your previous obligations you've been freed from. Now, in this life, we can come up with a lot of things to make our identity. It can be our work, our family. It can be our health. It can be a hobby we have. Something that we want to be known for, that we want to be our identity. But we are freed from all the obligations, good, bad, or ugly, when we come to Christ and we become his son or his daughter. You see, your obligation to live as a slave to sin ended. That's what verse 12 said. It ended. Your freedom to live as a child of God started. That's what verse 14 says. We are led willingly in freedom to be led by the Spirit of God in life, no longer in obligation, in debt, in slavery that is ended. I mentioned that we all have different kinds of identities. In this type A area, often we wanna be known for our success or we're the best at this career, we bring this kind of 
uh, knowledge and experience the table. We've got this kind of identity. But first and foremost, at the bottom of all that, our identity ought to be, I am a child of God. We get up in the morning, we ought to remind ourselves, I am a daughter of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God. That totally, that perspective, when it saturates into our minds, it changes our thinking, our perspective, our desires, our dreams. When it gets deep into our hearts, it changes our interactions, our relationships. It changes our behaviors and our responses. It transforms everything. When I realize that I have been liberated from those obligations and I am released as a child of God to live as his child. And yet many of us still go back to those old identities. And let me tell you, Satan wants to convince you you are anything, good, bad, or ugly, other than a child of God. He wants to keep bringing back the shame and the guilt of your past. He wants you to get caught up in some other identity that would be at the forefront of your life other than you are an adopted child of God. Especially for us in this area, work can be. That identity. Timothy Keller says, if our identity is in our work rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. It's so true. But even our work life, our marriage life, our family life, every aspect of who we are is radically transformed and brings joy, peace, and satisfaction when at the heart of it, our identity is in Christ and Christ alone. Where's your identity? When Jesus adopted you, when the Father adopted you into the family, made you a joint heir with Jesus, you were released from those obligations that held you back. You're free to live in the Spirit and in Christ. Secondly, when you were adopted by God as his child, you had nothing ever, you had nothing to fear ever again. Nothing to fear ever again. Now, there is a healthy fear of God the scriptures speak of, but it's an understanding of who God is and who I am. So it's that that knowledge that you are God and I am not. That's that proper respect and fear of God. But it isn't a, a horror fear that judgment could fall on us at any moment. Instead, we're released from that bondage of fear in our sonship or our daughtership with God. If you look back there at verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. He doesn't bring us out of this slavery and then treat us as slaves. No, we are his sons and daughters. We're in his family. We're at the table. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And as we cry out, the spirit of God confirms, yes, you are his child. You can cry out to him, Abba, Father, verse 16 says. So what does that mean for us? You're not a slave of God driven from him in terrifying fear. You are a child of God drawn to him in tender intimacy. You're a child of God drawn to him in tender intimacy. You've been picked up out of this slavery. You've been made a child of God with all the rights and privileges and wealth of eternity that goes with that. Now, a lot of people really struggle with that last part of verse 15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba in Aramaic means daddy, and it sounds very similar in Arabic and very similar in Hebrew. If you're in Jerusalem and you hear someone speaking Arabic or Hebrew, a child, you'll hear them say Abba, and they're calling their father. It's, it's not meant to be a trite word. It's not meant to be a frivolous or irrelevant 
reverent word? A child out of a heart and innocence calls to their, their father, daddy. And I know some, uh, their relationship with their father is, 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 was not a good one. And maybe you've lived with a lot of stuff because of that. I think when we understand our true identity in Christ, even seeing God as our father and crying out, Abba, Father, that'll begin to bring some healing to those places for those who have some struggles with a relationship with a father figure. Maybe that'll even bring healing. But when we look at this word daddy or, or father and we think it's, it's too frivolous. You know what's interesting? You, you go back to what Pastor Brian Howard preached at the beginning of the year when he preached through the Lord's Prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer starts, our father. Do you know for the disciples that was right where they stopped and they went, wait, what, what, we pray our father? You see, in the first century, in Judaism of that day, they did not refer to God as Father much at all. As a matter of fact, you go back to the Old Testament, and there are two direct references to Father in Isaiah. There's some other allusions to the Father. But by the time of Christ and the religious leaders and their perspective, they made God a distant God who was judging everyone or blessing everyone, whether based on their performance, and sometimes they would just refer to him as the name as they approached in prayer. And so when Jesus starts the example of how we're to pray and says, our Father, that was radical. And Jesus initiated that as he said, he's my Father and he's the Father of all my followers. He was so challenged on that that in John chapter eight, when he referred to God as his Father and referred to himself as the Father's Son, the religious leaders, no, 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 no. If anybody's, anybody calls him father, it's us, the religious leaders. And he, you remember his response in John 8? No, your father is the devil. <laughs> but the, oh, the whole concept of father was something Jesus initiated. He himself from the cross cried, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, to the Father. Jesus, 70 times in his ministry, refers to God as Father. That was unusual. That was something he was initiating because in our being picked up in Christ and brought into the family of God, there is a new intimacy we have with God. He was our Father by creation, yes, but in our brokenness and our sin, we were lost. Now he is our Father, not just by creation, but by redemption and by our identity as the children of God. And we can cry, Abba, Father. You are not a slave of God, driven from him in terrifying fear. You are a child of God, drawn to him in tender intimacy. My wife, Leslie, taught uh, elementary school most of her career until we moved to California. She had been teaching second, third, fourth grade, and I remember asking her one time, why don't you go after kindergarten or sixth grade? And she said, no, I like right there about eight, nine years old. She said, because they're old enough that they can tie their own shoes, blow their own nose, go to the bathroom, don't need the teacher's help. But she said they're young enough and innocent and sweet enough that every now and then when they're referring to me, they'll slip and call me mommy. There is something sweet about a child in their innocence and their dependence, crying out, Daddy. Maybe you struggle with that. God wants you to know you're in his family. You are his son or his daughter. In the lowest of low points, in your brokenness, you can say, 
Daddy, Abba, Father. In the highest moments when you're at great victory points and success, it's good to get on your knees and say, Daddy, Abba, Father, and celebrate the victory with him, recognizing your identity is first and foremost in him. J.I. Packer said, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. To be loved and cared for by God the Father is a great thing. When we were adopted in the family, we never had to be gripped by fear again, and yet this life is full of fear and anxiety. I mentioned I've got to catch a plane. I'm taking a class in a program I've been a part of in Honolulu, so I'm going to Honolulu, and it sounds glorious, but we have to be there from eight to five, Monday through Friday, and I come back Friday night. And um, Wayne Cadero, the pastor of New Hope Church there, is our teacher. It'll be a great week. It's on healthy spiritual leadership, and I'm looking forward to it. But I don't like to fly because I've often gotten so motion sick, it's made the whole trip miserable, and so I have this, it's not, the flying part isn't probably where anxiety and fear comes from, but I get anxious about getting motion sick on a flight, and uh, I don't know if you saw this flight that uh, was going to Hawaii uh, in early December, and they hit this rogue air pocket that just popped up, it had been a very smooth flight, and people literally hit the ceiling. So, why have I been dwelling on that since I read that article knowing I was going to be flying to Honolulu? <laughs> it's very easy in life for us to get gripped by fear and anxiety. But we step back and we say, wait, I'm a child of God. Nothing can harm me. Nothing will ever change that. No matter what happens, this life or the next, I am his and he is mine. I am Christ's child. I am his son. Those of you, those ladies can say, I'm his daughter. That, that releases us from the fear and the grip of anxiety and, and helps us see what is greater when we root our identity in Christ himself. When you were adopted by God as his child, all your previous obligations ended. You had nothing to fear ever again. And thirdly, your inheritance could never be taken away. When a nobleman would adopt another nobleman's son, that relationship could actually be ended in the laws of the Roman Empire through that adoption. But when a nobleman reached down and released a slave from slavery, paid the debt, was forgiven, and then made them their child and made them an heir, Roman law said that could never be undone because it would be too harsh an experience. It would have been better to left that person in slavery. When God picks us up in Christ, it not only lasts in this time, but it lasts into the next lifetime. Again, looking at the verse here in, in verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs. We're a part of the inheritance, heirs of God and all that God offers us in his goodness and glory and co-heirs with Christ, all that Christ offers us in his glory and victory, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The inheritance God has for you as his child can never be taken away. All that God has given to you is yours as his adopted heir. All of it. From the moment you receive Christ to the moment you are with Christ, you are secure in the spirit of God by God's goodness and grace, not by your performance. All that Christ has to share with you is yours as his adopted co-heir. Notice he says we're gonna, we, we share in his sufferings and his glory. A lot of us like the idea of sharing in his glory, but his sufferings part, eh. But actually, Jesus started this. He came to walk in human flesh to understand our suffering. He went to the cross and suffered for us. 
In this life, we share in his sufferings. In the next life, we share in his glory and victory. And we shouldn't be surprised that there is suffering in this life. Jesus himself said to his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. This form of Christianity that says you can, you can eradicate the sin nature, you can achieve perfection, you, you'll be wealthy and healthy and nothing will ever change that if you're God's child, that's a flawed understanding of the scriptures because Jesus said, if you are my follower, in this world you're gonna have trouble. It's a part of sharing in his sufferings, but in the next we experience his glory and his victory. Peter captured this concept in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. One day Christ is gonna return and set all things right. And those who know Christ and are part of God's family through Jesus will welcome his coming in joy. We will bow our knees and confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord in joy. But those who do not know Christ, who are still trapped in the bondage of sin, are not a part of God's family. When Christ returns, they will bow the knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and they'll do it in judgment. What he's saying here is as part of this identity is we have this inheritance that's gonna last forever that no one can take away. You see, part of this identity is we don't have to live in fear again. Part of this identity is that all of the guilt and shame and the obligation of the past that Satan keeps trying to throw in our face, we're liberated from that. We are the children of God. We sang it just a few moments ago. It's not about who I say that I am. It's not about who Satan says that I am. But it's all about who you, God, say that I am. I am a child of God. God's grace gives you a new identity that forever defines you by who you are in Christ, not what you do for him. Embrace that. Breathe it in. Celebrate it. Let it change your thinking, your perspective, your outlook on life as God's child. So how do we respond to God's adoption? How do you respond to God's adoption of you in, into his family? Number one, thank God for adopting you. This week, take some time to just say thank you, God, for picking me up out of that slavery to sin and making me your child now and forever. Thank you. Secondly, as you pray this week, pray this week, Pray out to God as Abba or Daddy. Whether it's a high point or a low point, cry out to God as Daddy. Some of you will think, oh, it just feels so cheap. So, no, it speaks of the intimacy God offers us in our identity in Christ with himself. Thirdly, read the PDF 101 Truths About Our Identity in Christ. It's a, a PDF I came across from a, a wonderful ministry. It takes scriptures and gives you 101 identity markers. And if you struggle with self-esteem, you struggle with who you are, you feel that you, you beat yourself up, not just Satan beats you up in who you are, get a fresh glimpse of your identity by going to that. You can actually scan the QR code next to you and it's one of those choices you have there, the 101 identity markers for the follower of Christ. Back in 2018, a very uh, poor French woman who just come to the end of everything. She had a little tiny apartment. She'd been living on government assistance. 
She decided she had to move in with a relative. She brought an auctioneer in to sell some furniture. He came in. He noticed a little 10 by 8 or 8 by 10 painting above her hot plate in her small little kitchen. He said, you know, that might be worth something. So he checked into it, and it was a rare photo from the 13th century by an Italian artist known as Shimabue. Now, those of you who speak Italian can make that sound much better. But it was such a rare photo that the auctioneer, after discovering this photo, said to this poor woman who lived in poverty for decades, we can probably sell that at auction for $7 million. It went to auction in late 2019, and it actually was sold for $26 million. The shame of the story is this woman didn't know it, but she was a millionaire for decades. She possessed that painting. Many of us don't understand that we are rich in Christ, in our identity in Jesus. It changes so much. But we don't live with that identity at the front of our minds and captivating our lives. Can I encourage you to slow down Embrace your identity in Christ. Receive the promise of unimaginable grace. All your obligations have been ended. You don't have to fear anything ever again. And you have an inheritance in Christ now and forever that will never change. Cry out to him, Abba, Father. Thank you, Father, for just the opportunity to call you Father, to call you Daddy. May folks who maybe have just carried the label Christian lean into their relationship with you and develop a deeper intimacy with you as their father. May those who perhaps listen to the voice of Satan categorically telling them they're a failure, they're trying to shame them, and may they be able to hear your voice. You are my child. Nothing will ever change that. May the voice of Satan, maybe their own internal voice, would fade, they'd hear the reality of who they are in Christ. May we live with the wealth you've given us in Christ. And may others see that reality in us. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen.